This is Earning Their Stripes, our show on the Fish Stripes podcast dedicated specifically to Miami Marlins prospects. I'm Eli Sussman, the Fish Stripes managing editor, and I think we have a fascinating feel-good conversation on deck. A reminder as we start things off, please leave a rating and review for Fish Stripes on Apple if you haven't already done so. Each of those that we receive through the end of the 2021 MLB season, we're almost there, but each one we continue to receive on there is an extra dollar being donated to the Players Alliance. More details about that impactful organization at theplayersalliance.com. A general outline for this episode of ETS. I was thinking about one hour talking about the gorgeous fish on the farm rebrands that went into effect this week. And maybe at the end, a couple minutes at the end, talking about actual prospects in the organization. How does that sound to you, Alex? Oh, man, that sounds amazing. Uh, I could talk about this for a long time because uh, Alejandro, man, uh, shouts out to Alejandro Reyes. He did amazing, amazing work for us. Um, can't thank him enough for everything that he did. Um, absolute master at his craft. And that's why I uh, and, uh, asked for his help and he was kind enough to do so. So, yeah, I mean, it looks great. I'm, I'm really excited about it. So, uh, but yeah, it, it looks awesome. Thanks for, for showing it off for us. And thanks for having me and Daniel on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks you guys for joining me under these very unique circumstances. As people might be hearing in the background, I have some company at home. <laughs> I won't go into any more details on that. But that, of course, is Fish on the Farm's Alex Carver. He's here with me to go through these breakout prospects. And so is Daniel DeVivo. Together, they co-host the Swimming Upstream podcast, part of Fish on the Farm, which should be available to you wherever you're listening to us right now. So subscribe to that, rate and review that. Nobody on the planet does more to monitor and contextualize the state of the farm system for Marlins fans than these two guys right here. So thank you for taking the time for me, Daniel. Hey, hey Eli. Now, thank you for, for inviting us. We're absolutely happy to talk baseball and prospects with you. Um, it's really exciting. It's still, I mean, Marlins farm system is still one of the best out there. So absolutely, as I mentioned, excited to be here. And we're going to keep it with Daniel right off the top. This is going to be pretty informal as we just go through all these guys that we feel pretty significantly boosted their stock during this 2021 season that showed us stuff we didn't already know or stuff that we weren't really sure about. And the really the perfect poster boy for this entire theme of this episode would have to be Yuri Perez, the right-handed pitcher who began this year with Jupiter. He moved up to Beloit by the end of the year. And I, I'll just hand it over to you, Daniel, about everything that we should know about Yuri's amazing 2021 season. If listeners right now have ever heard any episode, listened to any episode of Swimming of Stream, you know that I'm a, I'm just a Eudi Perez fanboy. Um, the kid is just amazing. Uh, my quick story with him is is that I was, you know, when he was signed. Um, I was looking at all the players that were signed that season. They were mostly hitters um, with with um, Jose Salas being the main guy. Yuri uh, Perez was kind of just, you know, like, okay, they gave him 200000 But then I looked at uh, his size and, and, and what I, you know, what Baseball America had to say about him. And I it just, he just, you know, he caught my eye and I just, did a mental note and went on with my, with my life. Six months later, baseball America ran a report that he was now um, like four inches, uh, four inches uh, taller, um, 30 pounds heavier and had command, 
had the mechanics. Fastball was like seven miles per hour <laughs> faster. And that's when I started talking about him uh, with Alex. I think I brought him up in one of our first episodes. Um, this was more than a year ago. Um, and he came into this season with, okay, he's never pitched a professional inning. So let's see how he does probably start at the complex, you know, see how he does there. And nope, he was assigned to Jupiter, to low A as the youngest player in all of minor league baseball. Um, so you would expect some growing pains, uh, <clears throat> several, um, you know, ugly outings and no that was not the case at all um he absolutely dominated um jupiter um and he did it with a, a sinker and a four seamer that both sit between 95 97 i believe he he touched 98 at some point um a curveball 79 81 and the changeup between 87 89 all flashing plus and all with just solid command. So he did that, you know, just again, amazing results for a while. And right at the end, he was um, surprisingly, not because he didn't deserve it, but just because there wasn't much time left, surprisingly promoted to Beloit. And he went up there again, youngest player at that level, of course, and dominated as well. I mean, just had solid, I think it was two or three starts, three, three maybe, um, just solid outings and, and showing his maturity. And right at the end of the season, he made it to several top 100 lists. So um, I keep seeing some people saying that, oh yeah, he projects with a, as a, you know, a maybe number three ceiling. <laughs> I would say the sky's the limit with this guy. He's so good. Uh, I've spoken to him. He's very mature. He understands where he is. Um, and I mean, I feel he has it all to really, really become a star. So that's, uh, <laughs> I'll finish my monologue right there. But but yeah, I'm definitely an Odie Pettis fanboy. And if you didn't know about him, please, please read up on him because he is a really big part of our future. I hope it's our future. No trades involved. My favorite stat that I only just noticed today, his home road splits, he allowed one earned run in, at home all year between Jupiter and Beloit. One earned run in like 40-something innings. Just wow. Just, wow yeah, that's, wow. that's absolutely nuts. And um, the only thing, I wouldn't say it's a question mark because, you know, it's not something that he didn't do correctly this season, but he's never pitched over, I think it's five innings. They never, they never gave him a shot because obviously they're trying to protect their young kid. So I'd like to see what, what happens when he sees a lineup for the third time. I want to see what happens when he pitched seven innings. So um, we'll find out next season. And uh, what do we think they do with him? Like entering spring training? Like, is it, is it crazy enough that he gets just invited to get his feet wet at major league spring training? Because we saw them do that with the draft picks like this past year with, with eater in McCambly. And we knew that those guys like weren't going to be part of that. I mean, we obviously know he's not going to pitch in the majors next year, um, you know, 2023 ETA at the earliest, but what does that, what does that look like? And is that really like outside the realm of possibility? You think that they, uh, they bring him to camp and just like have him, let Mel Stoudemire at least get a look at him, something like that. 
Uh, I think they invite him, but don't play him, just like they did with with Max Meyer and uh, and uh, Eater and, and several of those guys that they did invite. So they just kind of bring him in, have have Mel look at him, have him kind of talk to to the guys. Uh, I think that's that's what they do to him. And in terms of where he starts, I'd say I'd say it's pretty safe that to think that he starts in uh, Beloit, uh, starts there and finishes up in Pensacola. What do you guys think? Yeah, that that was probably going to be. I, I just I'm not sure <laughs> because he, he did have I guess the very last outing that he had in Beloit wasn't great, but that's really nitpicking. Uh, I mean, before that, he had a couple of these outings where like one hit in five innings multiple times. He had that no hitter through four and two thirds. Like, like it didn't really seem to change much once they did promote him, despite it being at the end of the year. I I would guess that he's like reports to high A uh, initially. You think so, Alex? I mean, the jump up to double A as a 19-year-old, that would be, there's just not a lot of precedent for that. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's not had a lot of precedent to him so far based off of everything that we just said, starting at single A as an 18-year-old kid who's never pitched an affiliated ball, and there he is. So, I mean, he handled that pretty well, but double A is a different animal. I think we can all agree on that one. Um yeah, but man, Daniel said it all. This guy, and I got to give props to Daniel because he called it. He called it all the way because, man, when he was first showing me his videos out of out of spring training, when he was pitching in spring training and posting videos on Instagram, you know, I, I like what I saw. I like I like the shape of his breaking ball. I really like the fastball velocity, as Daniel mentioned. Um, but I thought there was a little bit to clean up. I've mentioned this to you before in terms of repeatability. Um, a kid that size, you know, pitching in, in, in a pro ball for the first time, you can expect that. But man, just flew out of the gate and did it with a moment's notice. Just cleaned it up immediately, and um, his stuff looks repeatable. It looks good. Um, the uh, the uh, effort is just about the same on all of his pitches. Um, handled the jump up to single A advanced very well. I do agree with you. I think he starts there again uh, this coming season. Um, jump up to double A. Um, I, I I'd say I they go cautious with this kid, and he's so young. He's got so many years left. I mean, you, you want to see it happen as quickly as possible, of course, but, um, you know, with, with the depths that the Marlins have, I, I think they give him the time and, and he spends close to the full year in single advance. Um, the only thing I will say um, as a sinker balling guy that I want to see a little bit more ground ball hasn't really needed it so far with all the strikeouts that he's had, but um, the ground ball rates have been kind of low. So uh, maybe a little bit more ground ball is my only not even complaint, just a request, I guess, but man, he's, he's been really good and uh, just, wow, just incredible. Let's let him meet Sandy. <laughs> when he meets Sandy Alcantara, he'll show him how to get ground balls. Um, I was looking at the the exact number here: twelve point fifty K per nine between both levels. I mean, that's that's a otherworldly, worldly for a for an eighteen year old. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be the prospect that follows that up because nobody really stacks up to where he was and where he's now ascended to so quickly. But Alex, just give us any other breakout prospect that you could think of in, in that general I know, mold. I know who that... Alex has. Go Come ahead. on, Alex. Yeah, and give mean, us your guy. I mean, Daniel has his guy with, with Yuri, <laughs> um, the guy that he kind of had his eye on in, in, in spring um, and before. And I had mine in Troy. I mean, this is an older guy, Troy Johnston. It's an older kid. Um, you know, he's definitely not 18. He's a little bit more advanced. I think he's 24 now. So, yeah, I mean, just a guy that that I, I what I really saw in him watching him with Batavia, the little bit that I got to see, 
and watching his college video. It was just a guy that was so simplistic from the very start. I mean, it's a guy that stays back, takes pitches, takes close pitches, is really able to work his at-bats at such a young age. 2-2 pitch. That's a swing and a drive. Deep right field, down the line, and it's gone. A grand slam, Troy Johnston, and it's 10-5 Beloit in the eighth. And I really saw that and said, you know what, I, I want to keep on a, an eye on this guy this year. And I, I mentioned it to a couple of people, including you, I think, Eli, and to definitely to Daniel. Um, man, and it, it happened. And I, I'm so glad that it did because we had him on the podcast, Eli, and you, you've probably heard. We, you couldn't meet a nicer guy. Um, definitely awesome. I, I'm so excited for him and his family. You know, he, he had his grandparents out at like every single one of his uh, college games at Gonzaga. You know, it's, it's just a good baseball family, a good baseball dude, a guy that really understands the science of hitting and really puts it to work and, you know, made it show up immediately um, with, with Jupiter, got the call up to double or to single A advance. I wish he got the call up to double A. That didn't happen. Hopefully that happens next season. I think it will. But man, just 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 a really simplistic hitter. All it was missing was the power and he turned on the power definitely this year and showed that out. So I'm excited for that kid, man, has the positional flexibility, moved a little bit to first base. I'm excited for him. If you want to talk about a guy that was definitely under the radar to start the year and probably still is now, I don't think a lot of people have him rated. I know we do, but maybe not a lot of other people. I like him, man. Um, good kid, good guy, good bat. And man, I'm excited for what he can do in the future. Hopefully we see him in spring training. Well, we're going to see him before that. Uh, I think you guys probably noticed, but if not, I'm sure a lot of people didn't that he, he confirmed that he's going to the fall league. He is one of the Marlins players. That wow. are going I did out not there. see that, but that's good to know. Wow. After playing the maximum 120 games this minor league season, um, this is kind of what they did, I guess, with like someone like Gerard Encarnacion a couple of years prior where he played the full season, but they said, we really like what you're doing. So go on out there. So he, he will be in the fall league. You, I mean, there's so much positive about what Troy did. What I was curious about is about his defense, because you did mention like versatility, he played a little bit of the outfield during that first month in Jupiter. And then he was pretty much first base only when he went to Beloit. Uh, what do you think of his defense? Does he really have that flexibility as he moves up the ladder? Or do you think he's going to be kind of limited to first base DH type stuff? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, his outfield defense, I don't think was like horrendous. <laughs> it just, it probably just didn't live up to what you want out of a guy that you're looking at as the lower level prospect. You want to see every tool. Um, you know, they, they did give him a lot of first base, as you said. So, I mean, I, th I think he still has time, you know, to turn around probably more as a left fielder uh, than anything else, but yeah, I, I think it's good enough, man. And I think the bat speaks for itself. So I'm, 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 I'm optimistic on him. I, I think the mindset is incredible. Um, the, the, the amount of power potential that he showed this year, um, you know, that I, th I really thought, and I said to you, that I really thought that that was the only thing that was really missing from his offensive skill set. So I think offense um, first here, um, definitely. And that's why I think the move to first base made more sense for him. Um, so yeah, um, as a first base guy, maybe DH, if that comes to the NL, um, that could be a guy that you look at and say, he definitely, definitely has a future with the Marlins. So I, I really like him. But it does look like the, the, the organization made a decision, right? I mean, he played like eight games in the outfield in, in low A, but then when he moved to, to high A, zero. He didn't play one inning in the outfield in, in that, that outfield is so crowded i mean you you look at these guys that are coming up that outfield Absolutely. is so crowded you, you got to have guys that are going to move especially to a position like first base where the marlins don't have a lot of um of prospects that are performing at least 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the move to first definitely makes sense uh, to answer your question, Eli, but I, I think it's a move that he can handle nicely because the offense has come on so well. So I, I like it. Yeah, just to put the stats behind it for people that aren't familiar, he hit 300 this year. At the very end, he got up to 300, 399 on base, 468 slugging. He At the end, he passed Griffin Conine for most RBIs in the organization too, 85 rubies, even stole six bases to go along with it. And when you just go through his game logs, he was so consistently good. There was like a little road trip in Beloit, I think two weeks where like during that stretch, he didn't really do much at all. And then everything else is just dominance. He's just one of the better hitters that in that league, um, a league that obviously he was playing at for the first time, this being his first full-length minor league season, extremely impressive. And the fact that he has a fall league invite, that's not nothing. There's a very, there's only seven guys that the Marlins can send out there and they're sending him for a reason because they, yeah, they, they want to see him. They yeah. want to see him against guys finally his own age because that's obviously a factor too, that he's been 24 years old for most of the season. And when you go to the fall league, it's a little bit older competition. And if not, it's just certainly more talented arms as well with nastier stuff. And for a guy that only had a 20% K rate, even while like doing so much damage, that's a really impressive combination. And he's, these he's numbers sustained to bring it up. These numbers sustained. And you mentioned it, these numbers sustained and he played a full minor league season. It was across two levels, of course, um, but he started in Jupiter, which is not an easy place to hit. We all know that. And he made it up to, to the snappers and man, it's just a guy who's, who's really been so good over the course of a full season. And now he's going to get even more. I think that speaks to his durability, man. I, I, I think the guy's going to be really good. Um, definitely still under the radar. Um, I think me and Daniel, are the only uh, probably platform that has him rated, I know pipeline doesn't. And a lot of the other major people don't, but I like this kid, man. I think he could definitely make an impact for sure for the Marlins. Do you guys say, say he's a top 30 right now for the Marlins? For me, yeah, on my personal right. list, I have him. I could tell you exactly where I have him. I have him number 29 at the moment. <laughs> that is before uh, there's going to be a couple of graduations on that, too. So he's going to inch up a little bit more from yeah, there. He's definitely on the end there. He, he really on, our, on our end of season update that me and Daniel are going to be putting together soon, it's at the top 100. He's, he's for me, he's definitely, I can't speak for Daniel, but for me, he's definitely going to be there especially as you said, with graduations, Yuri's going to be well up as well from where he had him previously, but um, yes. we'll make that update. So both <laughs> of our guys are going to be going up uh, for sure. But yeah, Troy, I, I definitely, I definitely see him as top 30 in, in my upcoming top 100. We are talking about breakout prospects in the Marlins organization this year with, with Alex Carver and Daniel DeVivo. And, and we covered, you know, the two big, big dogs in there, the ones that kind of far and away for their positions, hitter and pitcher respectively, really, blew the doors off everything we could have hoped for but there are more there are a bunch Definitely. more uh, any direction you want to take this daniel with another guy that yeah. really wowed you i'll tell you one right now who really wowed me and i'm really excited about um that's ian lewis bahamian i really really liked what i saw he, he really surprised me this season he was a guy who i was expecting to be that typical you know fast guy, slap hitting, just <clears throat> good defender type of guy. So what did he do when he started uh, you know, his professional career? He, he just hit 500 slugging, <laughs> slugging percentage in 43 games for, for the um, Florida Complex League. 18 extra base hits and, and still showing that solid speed, low K percentage at 14.9%. 
um, again, showing power with that 14.9% K percentage and getting on base at a solid clip, 354 OBP with a 302 average. <clears throat> I mean, he really surprised me and it looks like he's absolutely going to keep developing. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, expecting a quick guy and ended up being a, a solid extra base hit power guy. So what do you guys think? What, what do you guys see in him? I know that um, he has the blessing of Jazz, Jazz Chisholm Jr., both of them being from the Bahamas. Jazz has kind of gone out of, out of his way, I think, in one interview I saw calling Ian Lewis his best friends in the organization among everybody in there, despite him, the big age difference between them. So that, that's pretty interesting. And there are some similarities in that being able to hit for power in that small package is unusual, but if you have the athleticism, if you have just the, the quick twitch muscles to do it, and, and he showed he could do it, even you, you don't want to generally you want to take those rookie league numbers with a grain of salt. But when he's so young, even relative to the competition, you can't help but be impressed by it. And yeah, coincidentally, he's someone you he couldn't be more different than like Troy Johnston, but he's somebody that is just a general prospect value situation. I have them like neck and neck on my personal list in terms of guys that, um, as I said, they couldn't be more different, but he does a lot of things that, that you like. Um, so similar to Troy, you know, when you really want to nitpick it, you look at the defensive usage and you see that he barely played any shortstop at all. Like they were playing not just Jose Salas at shortstop ahead of him, but also Khalil Watson and also Jordan McCants and even other guys as well that he, they, he got pushed to second base in favor of those guys, which I think is, I wouldn't say it's a red flag because you could still be plenty impactful as a player if you're like second base only, but the, the, just seeing that usage, I don't think it's a coincidence and it could be just, you know, a pretty firm statement by the organization that they want him to just focus on that one spot. So I guess that's one other thing that stood out for me. Yeah. He got more third base innings than shortstop innings. So you're right. Yeah. Just talk about numbers. I mean, the FCL and these lower levels, they have so many players at these levels, especially with middle infield. And the guy got into 43 games. It was um, 149 at bats. I'm looking at the stats right now. Um, and man, we're talking about the lack of power, but he showed it a little bit. I mean, 10 doubles, five triples, three homers. He hit 302, 354, 497. Stolen bases were there with nine. So, yeah, I mean, numbers across the board for that guy. Um, and he's still, even though it's FCL, he's playing against guys that are on average just about two years younger than him. He's an 18-year-old kid playing against mostly 20-year-old guys. So definitely a good first showing for sure um, for Lewis. And, man, that would look good for my – I know he did your your um, your dream team drafts, um, you know, a little while back, Eli. That would look good for my picks because I had both Jazz and Ian Lewis. So that would be nice. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> what was – oh, yeah. So for him, the next step is pretty straightforward, you would think, right? He starts next year in Jupiter, probably as their main second baseman. But second we'll we'll base, see exactly. Yeah. But, but definitely just, you yeah. know, bump him up a level. Yeah, absolutely. And he um he was on in my list he was like neck and neck with with another kid called Junior Sanchez, um, who was drafted same season. It was Jose Salas and then Junior Sanchez, Ian Lewis, pretty much given the same bonus, and then, you know, Eury Perez and others. I mean, that was a good that was a good year. Um and Junior Sanchez, he was injured this whole year. So 
he absolutely went, you know, the other direction. Um, but Ian Lewis is 100% in my uh, top 30, like probably closer to 20 than to 30, um, because he projects to be a really good player. I remember seeing, I think the guys at Prospects Live are really high on him. They had him like 14 or something on their Marlins top 30 list. So that'll be intriguing to see. But we want to move a little bit more quickly, I guess, with these remaining guys. Back over to Alex with with any other other breakout prospects that you want to highlight here. I mean, there's so many, and I can go one of two ways here. I could go either draft or I can go with an international guy. But I'll give you an international guy because I think this guy has been so good at such a young age. Um, you know, from the positional standpoint, maybe not as far away from Yuri and what he was able, he has been able to do at such a young age. Um, but Kevin Guerrero, um, Kevin Guerrero, uh, DSL guy, um, he was in this year's international class or this past year's international class, I should say. And man, 36 games DSL, look at the numbers. I mean, 281, 390, 322, 12 steals, 30, 20, 30 to 21 um, strikeouts to walks ratio. Not many homers, but 17. So body's going to come along. That's going to happen. So it's just wait for that. But man, just, just number numbers alone really jumps out to you as a guy that, that could definitely be an impact player. And I think could be and doing it at such a young age, 17 years old. So uh, I don't have the signing bonus in front of me. Daniel probably can tell you that he's better with that stuff than me and looking up these <laughs> signing bonuses. I think it was kind of substantial if I'm not mistaken, just looking back at my history, but um, yeah, I mean, really, really, really good so far. And I'm excited to see how those numbers translate when he makes it stateside. Um, we'll see if that happens next year. Um, I don't know if it will. Um, still such a young dude, right? I mean, born in April, so he will be 18 um, by the start of next year, obviously short season. So we'll see. I mean, I think it definitely could happen, but a guy that has made it happen for sure. I mean, in, in his first season pro at 17. So you, you're excited to see stuff like that. Yeah, definitely not one of those um just random guys who had a good season. You're like, oh, who is this guy? You know, they got him for ten thousand. No, not at all. Um, he was given the third highest bonus in the the last international signing period at, at six hundred thousand, only behind uh, Yidi Cape and uh, Ronald Hernandez, the catcher. So I mean, high pedigree. He has a high pedigree. He has the tools. He's I mean, obviously, I, just like you, I'd like to see more power, but uh, very young um, and very projectable to grow into at 6'3 and 165 pounds. So sky's the limit for this kid as well. Uh, I Just like you, I do see him. Why not, right? They put 18-year-old Eudi Perez in, in low A. They can put 18-year-old um, Kevin Guerrero at least at Complex League. Yeah, at the very least, I think he comes over to the U.S. and maybe starts in he probably starts an extended spring training. Then they figure out exactly when to move him or exactly how to go from there. But I'm surprised that we made it this far and his name didn't come up already. So I'm going to bring it up myself with left-hander Antonio Velez, who it took me a little bit, a little while to actually focus on him and, and to take him seriously, to be honest, because undrafted free agent in 2020, which is misleading because that was a very short draft. It was only a five-round draft. Certainly in a 40-round system, in a 20-round setup, he would have been selected somewhere. Uh, so it's just unfortunate for him, I guess, to, to not have that moment. But he didn't really let it you know, weigh him down with the year that he had. He, Performance-wise, it is right up there with kind of the top of 
all pitching prospects in this organization for someone that he started at, um, at Beloit and then went up to Pensacola and the performance improved after he made that jump. Yeah. Um, Daniel, you could take it from there on anything specifically about Belez that explains like how he did this, how he, uh, what 99 innings of a 2.55 ERA this year. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm with you, you know, I, I was pretty, um, reluctant. I was going to say is the word because, you know, like you look at him, you look at this stuff, it's, it's nothing crazy, but you know, they, he started as a reliever and they gave him the ball to start and he just never gave it back. You know, there's several guys out there who got the chance to do it, but didn't do too well. Um, he never, he never gave it back. And, and, you know, and again, his stuff isn't crazy. Like his caper nine is that around 8.50. Um, but I mean, the whip, um, he's not, you know, he's not getting hit. He's not getting hit hard either. Um, and, and to, to make that jump to double a and, and, and get better, you know, double a is not an easy level. Um, he increased his caper nine. ERA of 0.50 that I mean that sounds good right and uh uh again just he lowered his average against so all, all good signs we we made we did that Meisner interview and like we I asked him like who's some like you name some pitchers who who have impressed you and he's like oh yeah AV AV I'm like AV AV who's AV it's Antonio Velez. I mean, he's impressing his teammates. So um, <clears throat> we definitely, definitely needed to be, um, you know, mentioned here because he, his, his season was amazing. Amazing. Uh, for, I mean, some people are, are familiar with him from college. He did go to Florida state and he did pitch a couple big games over there, but I wanted to get some clarification from Alex on his stuff because there, there were times I feel like you were trying to hype him up a little bit as a prospect, mentioning that he was touching the mid nineties with his fastball. Is that, give us like a, a realistic idea of what his stuff is. Yeah. I mean, from what I see and what I hear on, on broadcasts and everything else where, where people are calling out stats, uh, particularly while he was with double a and we heard Chris Gragiola, I'm calling out his numbers. He's like 93, 95, and it can go a little higher with the fastball. Um, the slider, I think, is pretty good. It's not really wipeout, as Daniel was mentioning. I don't really think he has that, like, true K pitch, right? I think that's kind of what's limited his ceiling in terms of strikeouts. But, man, fastball-slider combo is good. He's starting to really feel out a changeup, I think. I think that's kind of been a big difference for him. I say that about a lot of prospects, but it's always the third pitch to come along, and for him, I think it's come, come along pretty well. Um, good guy, man. I, I mean, I think he could be good um, in terms of a back-end starter. At the very least, I definitely think he has a floor as a reliever um, from the left side. So, man, really good. Um, I, I've really liked everything that I've seen from him. Control looks really good. Um, you know, can get over the plate a little bit at times, and that's when upper-level hitting is going to hit him probably harder. We'll probably see that next year. There's only 18 innings at AA. It was really good, but I think we got to see more of an extended um, stints at the upper minors before we really say, okay, we're, we're buying into this guy's ceiling as a, as an, as a, as a starter. But I, I think the ceiling is there for sure. Just based off what he showed this year, really good um, undrafted guy, as you mentioned in the short draft and the Marlins did it again this year with other guys, even in a longer draft. So 
uh, a credit to to DJ and everybody for going out and finding these guys after after either a short draft or a long draft. Um, masters of what they do, and it's it's exciting to see. I, I really like Antonio. I think he's going to be good. I, I guess related to that because same year entering the organization, I did want to mention Jake Eater, who instantaneously kind of like emerged as somebody that was so much better than anybody had believed to be. He he was drafted, but he fell all the way to the fourth round. He fell outside the top 100 overall picks. And so he's not top of mind at the moment because, you know, spoiler alert, he underwent Tommy John surgery uh, a few weeks ago. That will keep him out all of next year. But man, he was, I, I think he's, even though he didn't even make it, he didn't even need the whole season to break out. He was a guy that was appearing on top 100 lists even before the season was over, of course, he got that big recognition as being invited to the Futures game alongside Max Meyer. Those were the two reps in the Marlins organization this year, Meyer being the, the first-round draft pick and then Eater being the guy that uh, I think people had concerns about his consistency and his commands and um, a lot of concerns just about his performance in college, which was very uneven. And yet he, he comes out, he gets the initial assignment to double a and his numbers were, I mean, they were even better than Velez's were and they came with more dominance. They came with more swing and miss stuff as well. They came with uh, dominance, especially against fellow lefties. I think he held lefties to like a 100 batting average this year as, as well. So that, that I didn't want to spend too much time on him just because he's kind of on ice for for a year, uh, unlike any of these other guys. But certainly someone that that was a great story for this organization until you know that's just what pitching is. Sometimes it can happen to anybody. It can happen at any time when it just blows out, and you, you don't know uh, exactly what the next steps are. But optimistic, I guess, that with time he'll come back to being the guy that he was early on in the season. Yeah, and of course, I mean, I hadn't mentioned him before because he's not really a guy who was out of the top 30 and made that much of a big jump. To me, he made a big jump from like 20 to 5 or 6, right? He was already a relatively top prospect, not as high as we thought, um, you know, as he ended up being, sorry. But, I mean, you have to talk about his season is it's just crazy. I mean, you got that 12.50K per nine. You have a 2.48 FIP, which is just crazy good and backs up his 1.77 ERA. But apart from all of that, a 50.3 ground ball percentage. <laughs> so he also keeps the ball on the ground. I mean, he is so, so good. That that breaking ball is just nasty. It's 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 so nasty. And um after that futures game, I don't know what happened, but he just randomly, they only started, they were only giving him three innings and they did that for like three outings or he just pitched three innings. It was so weird. I remember like, why did he pitch three innings? That's 60, 60, you know, uh, pitches. And, and after that, it's just announced that he was undergoing Tommy John. So there's some story there um, that I guess someday we'll, we'll learn about. But yeah, that, that was heartbreaking. You know, he's, let's see right now. He is, he's, he's 22, which is uh, amazing, but yeah, he probably won't pitch until he's around 24. So, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that really, that's, that's a, that's a tough break, but he'll come back and 
he probably will come back stronger, as we know, with Tommy John. And um, excited for when that happens. Yeah, it sucks for sure. Um, I mean, we all know that when we heard the news, Eli, I was really devastated by it. We got to talk to him uh, a little bit earlier this season and everything that he was doing. Um, but man, as Daniel said, um, you could talk about Myers uh, slider and you could talk about McCamley's curveball. But I really think that that Jake Eater slider from the left side, how it just dives away from hitters the way that it does, is so incredible. I really think that that's the best pitch in the draft, in that year's draft. It, it's just so good. And, you know, he couples it with good fastball, good moving fastball, good change of two. So I really like him, man. It sucks that he went down the way that he did. Um, man, um, as Daniel said, he's still just 22 years old. He can come back strong, hopefully by the time he's 24. Also, as Daniel said, I hope he sticks around um, for sure in the Marlins organization. We know there's a lot of talk going on with trades and everything else. So, man, um, yeah, it, it would be a guy that 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 I, I have no doubt knowing his mindset and getting to talk to him and getting to hear what he had to say that would come back um, as, as, as advantageous as, as, as humanly possible. And to get Tommy John out of the way early in your career, I mean, it used to be like the kiss of death in baseball. I'm sure you remember that Eli Daniel as well, but nowadays it's kind of like, it's almost like I, I heard somebody refer to it as this, as like a rite of passage. And I, I think that's really is true that, you know, just to get, get it out of the way early and get out of the way early in your career and you can move forward. So I think that's the guy that Jake could be, but that breaking ball, man, <laughs> that can go a long way for sure. Everybody's never getting it. Nope, never. Everybody bet is. <laughs> yeah. He's immune. He's too perfect. He's immune. Yeah, he got the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Another reminder to people that, as they've mentioned, as Alex has mentioned a couple of times, exclusive interviews with Meisner, Cameron Meisner, uh, with Jake Eater. That's on Swimming Upstream. You can find that pod wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more guys I just wanted to make sure that we at least mentioned in here. One is the man of the moment for people still following the major league team. That'd have to be catcher Nick Fortes, who is the first, I believe the first Marlin ever to homer in three of his first four career games, career starts. I don't know <laughs> what the exact stat is, but he, he's homered three times in his first week in the major leagues after being called up spent a, a good chunk of this year in double a um not we could go through the hitting stats but the fact that he was paired with all those pitchers and those pitchers performed as well as they did i mean that probably tells you something about who he is as a receiver as a game caller with all the intangibles as well also had just a very good year with his bat went up to triple a and as i said just made it up uh, to the majors I, I, I think this is more of an Alex guy than a Daniel guy, but maybe both of you have some thoughts about Nick Fortes and uh, just not, not so much of a focus on his home run binge in the major leagues, but he was, he was certainly someone that was not like the top catching priority in the organization entering this year. And now maybe he is, maybe he's, he's pretty high up on that list of guys that could actually contribute in a positive way in the near term future. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, you know, I got to know Nick when he was catching in 2019 um, in single A advanced with the Hammerheads, and he was catching guys like Trevor Rogers, as we all know. Uh, Trevor just talked about him, about how he's a great receiver. And that was really the sentiment amongst all of that staff. They really, really raved about how he's able to receive pitchers. And I think that's really good. Um, a, a first, a good first step for any catcher, right? Receivability. That's what you really want. And he's very good at that. Um, the arm has kind of lacked behind that a little bit, but I think it could improve here as he polishes out. Um, he did have an okay year with the arm. It wasn't fantastic. It was okay. 
So yeah, I, I think, it, you know, as that polishes out, it could be okay, especially in terms of a backup catcher. And then man, and you talk about it, the offense, that's what's really clicked for him this year. And he said to us the other night on a media call with the Marlins that he's a completely transformed player from when he was, when he was drafted. And I think that that's what you see with the bat is just the ability to stay back, huge power potential, showed it in double A, got up to triple A here with the Marlins. Um, big jump for him. I'm really excited to see him get challenged the way that he has, especially where he is in his career, especially that he was coming up on rule five eligibility, which I always take into high account. Eli, you know that. So yeah, uh, really, really good. Um, I'm glad that he's here. I'm glad that he's getting a shot. I'm glad that the Marlins have finally started to show that they're going to give these kids that have really earned their opportunity, the opportunity at the major league level took a little longer than I would have liked, but it happened. And Nick has been really good so far in the majors. I really like him. And we only get, yeah. yeah, we only got a, a smaller sample of this other guy coming out of the draft. The Marlins draft class was extremely well regarded, mostly for what they did at the very top with Khalil Watson and Joe Mack. But you go all the way down, I believe the the second to last position player, maybe the third to last position player that they took from what was it, North? <laughs> Where did Bennett Hostetler go to school? The North Dakota there. State, I believe. That's right? what I thought. Yeah. yeah. One of, the, I, one of the oldest players in their draft class. Um, in fact, this pod is coming out on his 24th birthday, which is, that's older than you usually get from somebody that's just entering pro ball. The stats don't lie. Uh, the exit velocities in Jupiter don't lie. And he is the only Marlins draftee this year that had already made it up to high A and was producing in high A, of course, before their season ended. He, it's a small sample. Maybe our opinions on him haven't changed too much, but anyway, you slice it, you know, the most productive player that from this draft class during this first summer pro ball, despite being one of the last players off the board. Absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, the numbers don't lie. He came in, uh, he was this year's um, Burdick is, is what I was calling him with, with my brother, meaning that he just came in after his draft and and just started mashing, hitting power, and 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 for average, and, and you know, getting on base, everything, just like Burdick did when he came in. Um, and I mean, it's 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 right there to see a, a four like 490 slugging, 850 OPS, 130 WRC plus. I uh, remember guys, uh, listeners that WRC plus 100 is league average. This guy's at 130. So 30% higher than, than league average. That's really good. Um, only kind of um, uh, you know, flying your in his Chardonnay is the K percentage, the K rate at, at like uh, 29%, which is obviously pretty high, but I mean, if that's the only thing he needs to, he, he's going to work on, then he's good because everything else looks so good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that guy, I mean, I call, it's more like Bennett Hitstetler. That's what I've been calling him because all the guy does is hit. I know that's a lame pun, but I'm using it anyway. But yeah, really good. Um, he's hit in Jupiter and to be able to go to Jupiter straight out of a draft, I don't care how old you are and hit 337. You got to say something about that. That's, that's really special. He also hit three home runs there, which is not easy to get a ball out of that yard. And man, it's, it's not the biggest kid in the world, six foot 195, and he's hitting three home runs in Jupiter. Like you got to say something about his ability to get the barrel on the ball. It's really big for Bennett Hosteller. hits it hard. Um, I think he could eventually play multiple positions. Um, I think he already has played multiple positions, actually. Um, I yeah. think shortstop yeah. at the third base, maybe even the outfield. I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there. I think I remember seeing him in the outfield once or twice. 
So yeah, he's got the positional flexibility that the Marlins like hits the ball hard and man coming out of the, I think 18th round of the draft out of an unheralded college. That's, that's awesome. And that just speaks to, I said it before, it speaks to DJ and the entire draft team and how they're able to, to scout and, and, and find these guys. Cause again, as Daniel said, this could be another, even, even on a, on a lesser scale, I think Burdick was a third rounder. This is a guy 18th rounder and he's already showing up. <laughs> yeah, so no. Really, really nice to see it. Um, awesome. Uh, I will never argue <laughs> probably a day of my life with a, a move that, uh, that DJ makes in a draft in terms of long-term projectability. So I really like Bennett really good. Um, I think he could be a, a really solid player at the major league level. And the third baseman, I mean, God knows this, this system needs uh, some, <laughs> some depth at third base. And even like right now, like right now in terms of middle infielders, cause like, you know, past jazz and maybe one or two other guys, there's not a lot of, there's a lot of long-term talent and guys like Salas and other guys, Lewis, but there's not a lot of like right now guys. So maybe we see Bennett get pushed a little harder and maybe he mans a middle infield spot. It definitely could happen. Okay, I, I promise this is the last individual guy that I, I felt we needed to cover. If, just based. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say if you don't mention the guy I have, I'm gonna have to mention him later. <laughs> uh, well, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll this see. one, this one is based. It's based mostly on on the stats. I'd say sixth round pick in the 2019 draft, MD Johnson, with one of the better nicknames. Perfect, like perfect material to come up with catchy nicknames for. I mean, the bottom line is he was unhittable this year with Jupiter and then up to Beloit, a 170 batting average against over a sample of 102 innings for this guy who, as he started this year as a reliever at the very beginning. And then I guess there's some parallels to someone like Velez and that, you know, they moved him into the rotation and then he was just getting everybody out in the rotation and they never really took him out of that. They pushed him up a level and kind of held his own up there. Uh, I both of you probably have thoughts on this, but this is another guy that I feel is, is a big Alex guy trying to explain <laughs> what is going on with MD Johnson. Is he somebody that we should really be paying attention to moving into next year? Yeah. You talk about nicknames for this guy and I've called him many things. I've called him the doctor. I've called him like a lot of other things on Twitter, but I, I think the nickname that should really stick with him, at least until his promotion to singly advanced is wild thing this guy was all over the place like the walks were insane like he had starts where he would go like five innings and walk seven batters but only give up like one run like it was it was crazy I mean I guess you could speak to like the terms of what I said before with with Roger Dean being so hard to hit at but man it was a guy that was just so all over the place from pitch to pitch to pitch he, he would throw wild pitches and then he would come back and dot a pitch he would throw a pitch way out of the zone that got blocked and then come back to just like wipe a guy out. Like he was crazy to see him throw in Jupiter. And I saw it a couple of times. It was crazy. Uh, but man, it seems like he figured it out at the single way advanced level because the walk rate is down. Um, you know, walk rate. I'll give you the numbers. Walk rate with Jupiter this year was 7.87 walks per nine, which is absolutely insane to think that he's walking eight guys per nine innings. And then he goes to single A advanced and it's down to 3.94. So clearly he figured it out. You know, he found something, he found something with the coaches, found something in his release, found something with the stuff. We'd have to ask him. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but man, just, just refreshing to see a guy at 24 years old that can, that can get promoted a level maybe when he wasn't showing his best stuff. I mean, he was doing pretty well when he got promoted, but still had the walks to him, but man, to see him go up and, and, and figure it out even more so against 
against a, a further advanced hitting is, is refreshing. And I think the Marlins could get something out of this guy, as you said, Eli, as a, as a back-end rotation piece. And probably pretty quickly, as I mentioned, 24 years old, I, I don't see why they probably wouldn't challenge him again, maybe to start 2022 and send him to double-A. I don't know, maybe Daniel has some other thoughts, but that's what I think. So, like, if you look at his numbers, like you can see that he's he's fighting with that stuff versus control, um, you know, uh, dilemma because I mean, he, he showed really, really good stuff at, at low A. And I mean, again, it's the numbers, right? 42 innings pitched and 22 hits. Then right there, you're like, Oh my God, what is this guy's whip? You know, I mean, and then you see the whip and it's 1.39 and that's because of the crazy walk rate. So then he kind of last two or three starts of low A, he started to get a bit better but his K rate went down a bit. He got promoted because, I mean, probably Miami Brass was just waiting for him to solve that problem to promote him. And so they, they promoted him. And, and yeah, I mean, his, his walk rate went down, but again, his K rate also went down. Um, so I think he's just playing with it. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what he, he'll show next season. Um, probably, yeah, I mean, double A would be, would be an interesting place for him to start. Um, but wherever he starts, I'm just really interested to see if he's if it's going to be the crazy stuff, crazy walk guy, or is it going to be the more controlled, um, not as as amazing stuff, MD Johnson. So we'll see. You you talk about you talk about the K rate going down just really quick, Eli. You talk about the K rate going down. It, it did go down. You're right. Um, it went down to right around nine. But in in um, in single A, it was just at 10.2, 10.2. Yeah, I'm reading that right. Okay, yeah, 10.2. So it didn't go down too crazy. So to sacrifice a little bit of stuff for more control, mm-hmm. I definitely think that was necessary for this pitcher oh, yeah. uh, because he was really, really all over the place with with his. If you look at his pitch mapping, it's like crazy. Like you could go on Baseball Savant and look at this guy's pitch mapping and his single A starts, and it was nuts about how all over the place. And as I said, pitch to pitch. So to see him figure it out was refreshing. And I think he could definitely be good as a back-end guy or at the very least as a multiple innings reliever. Well, Daniel, was that the name that was on the tip of your tongue a few moments ago, or was there another guy that you wanted he to get? He wasn't. There's one other guy that I just have to mention. He's my right, only other ahead. guy that I would say really came into my top 30 after starting the season maybe in the top 50s, maybe. And that's George Soriano. I mean <laughs> – yeah, George Soriano, this is a guy who made a pretty big leap this season. Um, before starting, I had him as an okay pitcher, you know, just a depth guy who could maybe make it as a middle reliever. But he just showed some great stuff this season. The biggest difference for me is what uh, was just the stuff, which, you know, can be clearly seen in the difference in K rates from 2019 and, and this season. He had a 11.50 K per nine between both levels he pitched at, which were um, low A and high A as well. And um, in 2021, again, 11.50 K per nine. That's that's really good compared to the 7.45 K per nine that he showed at um, single A Clinton in 2019. So the stuff is there. Uh, our buddy Ian, uh, an earning earning their stripes uh, legend here, um, he. He went to see him a few times at Jupiter, and he just came back so impressed. Uh, Mid-90s fastball and a, just a wipeout slider. Like, it really is a wipeout slider. And, uh, like, he perfected it between 2019 and 2021. And you can see it. 
He finished with a 3.42 ERA between both levels, and he's still young at 22. So, yeah, he definitely made a big jump on my list this season. I'm going to bring up one more, and I'm going to be very brief, Eli, but Dan got to bring up one more, so I'm going to give you one more. <laughs> and my guy's Paul McIntosh. Yeah, Maybe not a name that a lot of people have heard of, but I'm bringing up Paul McIntosh. Um, undrafted out of West Virginia. He's 23 years old. They sent him to, I think, the FCL for like one game and then put him in Jupiter. The guy had six home runs in Jupiter in, in, the, in the old Florida State League. OPS of 1.020. So old for that level, yes, but coming out of an undrafted situation, just getting thrown into this organization and learning on the fly, I can't say enough for that. And I want to see that kid get challenged because, man, he definitely showed some true power potential. And he's a catcher. So let's yep. go. Uh, one home run every 15 plate appearances. So I will take that with a 21% K rate. So it's not like he struck out 40% of the time. So definitely Paul McIntosh is a, is a name to know. I'll have to dig into more of the StatCast data during the offseason, but at a quick glance, I think he was really top of the scale in terms of exit velo. Like he was the one guy that – every couple of games he was hitting 110 miles per hour. And just for people to put that into scale, like that is major league average for like an average hitter. That's, that's like Brian Anderson, Max at exit below. And for this guy that, like we said, just came out of college doing that. That's really intriguing. Uh, and he did uh, as a, not just a catcher, but experimenting a little bit in first base and in left field right, right after he got moved up as well. So that versatility never hurts in case the catching doesn't really stick around. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to mention like, where is he going to stick? That's what you really don't know. Um, I don't know if he can stick as a catcher just because of, you know, I, I've seen him move a couple times behind the plate and it's not fantastic. I don't think, I mean, I think he's an athletic kid. I just don't know if he has the lateral movement for catcher, but definitely has a big league future as a true power threat because man, he's been really good so far. We could probably go on for another hour, but I think we'll cut it off there with all the guys that we covered our breakout prospects of the year in this Marlins organization, not just the names that you already know, but the names that you would know if you listen to swimming upstream or the guys that you would know if you check the box course every day for people that don't do that, we're happy to bring these guys to your attention and guys will be following certainly over the off season. We'll be prowling those Instagram videos to see what guys are doing to, to stay fit. And of course, heading into next year where the season's going to be a little bit longer than it was this year. So very exciting to see that some of these players that didn't get a full season in. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a huge leap for some of those guys we mentioned at the end to the recent draft picks as well. This has been, this has been a really fun discussion for, for the most part. We appreciate everybody listening to this four man conversation, Alex Carver, Daniel DeVivo, Eli Sussman, and this cricket that has been outside my window all night. And I wasn't able to get rid of it. That was one of the goals for me is to outlast the cricket. And I wasn't able to do so. Hopefully the, the audio quality is still pretty good and you guys were enjoyed it. So this is on the fish stripes podcast. One more request. If you guys could rate and review the pod on Apple, that would mean a lot. And we'll continue to have our, our regular coverage of the Marlins and their minor league system uh, throughout the rest of the fall. We're, we're a year round show and we're happy to always find new angles that keep you guys interested. So thank you to the fish on the farm guys and we'll have more content for you soon here and on fishstripes.com and all of our platforms. Go fish! <laughs>